and their age gap that it'd be a little bit different, but boy, I was mistaken about that. So anyways, um, thank God for that. I'm thankful Jesus loves me, and uh, I'm thankful for blessed assurance today. And uh, I'm thankful that no matter how bad of a day I have, it can still be wonderful. And um, I, we could preach from those songs. That's pretty good. And uh, thank God for that. Take your Bibles this morning and turn over to the book of Habakkuk. Uh, we were there last Sunday. And yes, I'm going to commit a cardinal sin. It's Mother's Day, and I'm not preaching about mothers. Um, I just couldn't go nowhere there. And uh, God had already... Uh, give me where he wanted us to be, and that's where we're going to go. And so um, I may wind up, y'all know me, I don't, I, I preach whatever the Lord gives me and goes and go from there. I may end up preaching on Mother's on Father's Day for all we know, but it just depends on where God tells me to go. And um, I want us to get some help today, and, and I want to be a blessing to you and encouragement to you. And uh, I'm going to go where the Lord has, has, has had me all week. And so uh, let's, let's get over to the book of Habakkuk. And uh, let me make one more announcement before I get into this. Um, we do have a special gift for all you mothers today. So make sure you see Miss Nicole on your way out. And she'll give you a little gift just to say that we appreciate you. And I uh, thank God for my mama and... Uh, I thank God for uh, allowing me to be born into a godly family and a Christian family and a family that drug me to church from uh, before I was ever born. And as um, soon as I was born, the next time the church doors was open, I was at church. And I thank God for that because it didn't have to be that way. And I could have been born anywhere else, but God chose to let me be born here uh, to the mom and dad that he gave me, and I'm so thankful for that today. And uh, I tell you what, if you've got a godly mother, you ought to thank, thank God for if you've, I mean, if you just, the uh, uh, Lord's been good to us. That's all I can say about it. The Lord's been good to us. Uh, take your Bibles, Habakkuk chapter number one today, Habakkuk chapter number one. If you found your place, let's stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the word of God, Habakkuk chapter one. And uh, we're going to keep reading where we left off last Sunday. And the Bible says in verse number 12, Habakkuk chapter number 1, of course, um, when uh, we got into the message last Sunday, uh, we saw that, uh, you know, the first part of chapter 1, the prophet Habakkuk had a question about what was going on around him, and he had questions about how God was dealing with things, and, and uh, of course, in, in uh, uh, chapter number 1 and verses 5 through 11, we see God's reply to his question, but then God's reply simply led to another question, and that's where we're at this morning here in verse number 12. The Bible says, this is Habakkuk speaking here, "'Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one?' We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and Almighty God, thou, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? And makest men as the fishes of the sea, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with the angle and catch them with their net. 
and gather them in their drag. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag. Because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? Now, thank you for standing. You can be seated this morning. Uh, last week, I preached what I thought would just be a single sermon out of the book of Habakkuk, but I just can't get away from this. been studying it all week, and there's so much treasure in here. And last week, by the time I was done preaching that message on the thought of, does God care, I pretty much knew that God wanted me back in this book today. And so the book of Habakkuk is all about questions, questions about God's justice and sovereignty in the face of evil. And we began last week, like I said, by preaching the thought of, uh, does God care? And uh, does God care? Why do the wicked become richer and the righteous remain poor? Why did a corrupt person get a promotion while my work was not even recognized? Why do the wicked enjoy good health while the righteous suffer due to sickness? Why does God see all the evil around us and do nothing about it? That was Habakkuk's first Question. That was his problem in the first part of this chapter. Habakkuk asked God in verse 2, How long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Now, Habakkuk, he felt abandoned. He felt that God didn't care. But thank God the facts say otherwise, do they not? God did care. God was doing something. And God answered Habakkuk by telling him that he was, in verse number 5, going to work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Now, Habakkuk wasn't going to believe how God was going to work because God, here's why he couldn't, here's why God told him, you ain't going to believe how I'm getting ready to work. You know why he said that? Because God was going to use the most evil nation ever to bring judgment upon his own people. Okay, And this tells us, and we talked about it last week, that God answers prayer in unexpected ways. And um, why is that, you might wonder? Why does God answer in unexpected ways? Well, simply because of this. His ways are higher than our ways. And we just need to remember that. We need to remember that when we look around when we, as we live our lives. And we ended last week's message with the fact that God will answer prayer and He will solve problems in a way that will be unusual as well as unexpected. And, and, uh, but it will always be in a way that will glorify Himself. You understand that? Uh, we need to understand that. We need to realize that. And so here's the thing. God is not dumb. God is not deaf. He's still in the driver's seat today. Even when you can't track Him, you can trust Him. Right. And so in answer to Habakkuk's question, does God care? You better believe God cares. He's right where He's always been. He's right where He's supposed to be. He's on the throne. He's still in charge. Nothing is out of His sight. He's still there today. When you wander around and look around and try to figure things out, uh, you just need to trust in the fact that God is on the throne and He's doing what He wills. Now, we ended on a high note last week, and, and uh, you know, after the service, I said something about it last Sunday night, but Miss Doan said, I sure am glad you got through verse number four, because that was pretty bleak, and she's exactly right. It is pretty bleak, isn't it? 
And I'm glad we got through verse number four. And I looked there, I said, but that ain't the end. I said, his question just brought upon, or his question and God's answer just brought upon a bigger question. And that's what we're going to look at today. Here's what happened. It's, uh, here's what happened. We ended it on a high note. But there's more to the book of Habakkuk. G. Campbell Morgan said this, Men of faith are always the men who have to confront problems. And we got a big problem with that today. We don't like confrontation. And you don't have to like confrontation. You ought not like confrontation. But when you have to confront something, you ought to be man enough to stand up and confront it. And so... I like what he said there. Men of faith are always the men who have to confront problems. And here's the thing. As far as Habakkuk was concerned, God's first answer to his prayer had not been an answer at all. In fact, here's what happened. It only created a new problem that was even more puzzling and perplexing to Habakkuk. Habakkuk's question now became this. Not God, do you even care? But now it turned into God, are you sure about that? Y'all ever been there? Yeah, see, uh, see, at the first of the chapter, all Habakkuk was worried about is that God would answer him. He says, how long is it going to be while I sit here and pray and that you don't even listen to me and you don't even answer? And then when God did give him an answer, he went, you sure about that? Boy, if that ain't like us, I don't know what is. To this point, it seemed that God was being inconsistent how could a holy God, here's why it made, here's why Habakkuk had even more questions after God answered him. It's because of how God chose to work in the situation. Habakkuk had a problem with how God chose to answer his prayer. See, Habakkuk's first question is well, look at all this. When are you going to judge all this evil around me? God answers and says, I am. And this is how I'm going to do it. Then he says, well, God, how are you going to do that? How or why would you do that? And what was he doing? He was using a more evil nation to judge a less evil nation, at least in Habakkuk's eyes. We're going to look at that in a minute. He seemed to be inconsistent. How could a holy God use a wicked nation to judge His very own people? And beginning in verse number 12, Habakkuk prays a prayer that is just full of truth concerning the person of God. So I want you to notice, first of all, as we start going through this, God's person. Look in verse number 12. Habakkuk is actually asking a rhetorical question here. He says, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? Now, one good thing about Habakkuk is that instead of walking away from God, as many people do, he instead reminds himself of who God is. That's why when we go through the tough times, we have to go to the Bible because that's where the Lord reveals Himself. We have to remind ourselves when, when we're not sure of what's going on around us, when we're unsure of how God is working and how... Hey, the best thing you can do is go to His Word and remind yourself of who God is and who you are. 
If you don't do that, that's why so many people walk away from God when they get into trial and tribulation, when they get into things that they don't understand. They walk away from God. Why? Because they, they just they get stuck on what's going on in their head. And then they may even listen to the people around them or they may tune into some other, uh, uh, some other self-help thing. They never go back to the Word of God. And they just live the rest of their lives. Go, well, God's not fair. God's just been mean to me. You either get bitter or you get better at every trial that you face. And so, even though Habakkuk had questions about what God was doing, he still, he turned to God. He affirms his faith in God. He acknowledged that God is everlasting. He acknowledged that God is the self-existent one. He acknowledged that God was his God. He acknowledged that God is the Holy One. So he's going to the right place. Place And even when he doesn't understand what God is doing, he's reminding himself of who God is. You say, well, God, how can you do that? Well, yeah, well, God, I'm not I'm just confused at how you're going to work in that situation. Well, well, God, you are God. You are the self-existent one. You are omniscient and omnipotent and all-powerful and all you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, you're always present. You see how that works? Oh, I feel like I've been abandoned. I feel, how long am I going to pray and God not listen to me? But yet I get over there in His Word where it says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. You see how that works? Oh God, I can't track you right now, but I know that you're with me because you said you are. See, when you can't track Him, you can still trust Him. A.W. Pink said this, he wrote, There was never a time when God was not. There will, never come, there will never come a time when He shall cease to be. He was neither evolved, He was neither grown or improved. He cannot change for the better. He is already perfect. Being perfect, He cannot change for the worse. Altogether unaffected by anything outside of Himself, improvement or deterioration is impossible. He is God and we can trust Him. Habakkuk also understood that it is God who ordained the Babylonians to judge His people. He acknowledged God's sovereignty. So Habakkuk looks to God. He refers to Him as the Holy One, it says. And although God's plan was not understood by the prophet, God's person was unveiled to the prophet. He recognized that God was eternal. He recognized that God was eternal in His existence. And he recognized that God was holy in His essence, and whatever God ordained was right. That's why it continues in verse number 13, and we see God's permissions. He says, Thou art purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. See, Habakkuk here, he recognizes that holiness is not something that God does. Holiness is something God is. Back in verses 2 and 3, Habakkuk asked a question. 
Why do you idly look at, why do you sit by idle and look at the wrong and the evil talking about the Israelites and do nothing about it? That was his original question. Habakkuk had been troubled that God's people sinned and, and he remained silent about it. But now Habakkuk is troubled that God is going to use the wicked Babylonians to disciple or to, to uh, discipline his people. In the last part of verse 13, he's asking, he, he starts out by saying, why do you sit by idly and look at the wrong and the evil Israelites and do nothing? But now he's asking, why do you sit by idly and look at traitors, meaning the Babylonians, and remain silent? His question just turned into other questions. His confusion became more confusing. And Habakkuk probably thought that the Lord uh, should first punish the evil Babylonians. He probably even felt that God's cure was worse than the disease. This shows that God doesn't always answer our prayers according to our expectations. You think about this. Let me just take, let, let me just bring all this home to us for just a minute. What we're seeing Habakkuk do right here. What we're seeing God do right here. It would be like this. It would be like crying out to God about the state of the church in America. Okay? And I'm sure y'all cry out to God about that. I do. I cry out to God about the evil around me. And I cry out to God about the state of the church and how people are going and how people are doing and how people are acting and how people are believing what they are. It breaks my heart. I just heard this past week, I was listening to a, a, a Christian news site and they were talking about um, uh, one of the biggest people in Christian music right now. They put out a new album on Friday. And this woman, she put out this new album and she do, apparently she doesn't write any of her music. And this guy he was talking about how it broke his heart. It literally broke his heart because he said, I know within just a few weeks, churches all across America are going to be playing and singing music off of this album. He said, and here's what disturbs me so much about that. He said, yes, it's a Christian music album. Yes, it is geared toward God. Yes, it is. He said, but when they made the press release about the album coming out and they talked about all of the writers that were on the album. He, he listed about 10 or 11 names. And, and 10 of them, there was, out of all of the names that he listed that wrote the lyrics that are going on to this Christian music album, only one of them was a professing Christian. And that particular professing Christian was mixed up in a mess of heretical doctrine. Let me tell you about the others that were on that album that are writing Christian music. And by the way, if you don't know that the music industry is an industry, uh, get your head out of the sand. It don't matter if it's Southern Gospel. It don't matter if it's Christian rock. It don't matter if it's contemporary Christian music. It don't matter what it is. It is built to make money. I said it and I will not take it back. And so these people that are writing the lyrics on this new Christian album that's coming out, uh, he, he brought out one lady's name and said, here's what she worked on last month. 
And he read the lyrics of another song that she had recently wrote that went on a pop album that was in one of the Billboard Top 100. And let me tell you, the entire song is about as antichrist as you can get. And yet now, she's writing a song about having faith in God. You know why? Because she's making money. Now here's the scary thing. Here's the scary thing. We know that lost people have no... I mean, they're not spiritual whatsoever. They can't be. They don't know the things of God. They can't understand the Bible like you and I that have the Holy Spirit living within us. And yet, you're going to allow them to teach you theology. Oh no, I would never... But millions of people are going to listen to the music. That's a scary thing. And you know, I look at stuff like that and it breaks my heart just as this gentleman I was listening to was talking about. And I look around and I cry out to God and I think, God, what are... I mean... As a little guy, I know I'm not little. As a guy sitting here just trying to do his best and preach the truth and can't get people to listen to nothing. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're so far gone in America that don't even, people don't even want to listen to the truth. They don't care about your word, God. They don't care about you anymore, even though they sit in church every day. Y'all ever been there? Yeah. That's what Habakkuk is doing. And here's the thing. What would you do after praying like that? And I do pray like that. What are we going to do if God were to answer those prayers by saying, I'm going to fix that problem, Jonathan. I'm going to fix that problem. I'm going, I'm going to. I'm going to fix it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm sending China to invade and take over America. Does that bring it home? That's what's happening here in Habakkuk. That's why he's so perplexed. Because, honey, I'll tell you the truth. If God answered my prayer like that, I'd be sent over. Wait, what? Wait, wait, God, what? Isn't there another way we can do this? Wait a minute, God. Now listen, listen. I know this problem is bad. I know it's bad, but, but, but your cure is worse than the disease. That's where Habakkuk's at. That's essentially what we're seeing unfold right here. God is taking the most wicked and most evil nation in existence at that time and He's going to judge His people with them. Verse 13 says, thou art, pure, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he. See, Habakkuk did not understand why God would judge a bad nation by an even worse nation. But he did understand this. God is holy, and he could not look on iniquity. In other words, he understood that God had an obligation to punish His people for their woes, their wickedness, and their ways. Habakkuk knew that. And the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, they were wicked sinners, but they were idolaters 
You got to think about this. They were idolaters who didn't know the true and living God. That certainly doesn't excuse their sins whatsoever, but it does explain their conduct. Let me tell you something, y'all. A unborn, lost sinner is going to act like an unborn, lost sinner. We forget that sometimes. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> this is where it really gets become something to ponder. Was Babylon really the worst nation? Was it really the most evil nation? Here's why I say that. They were just being the way their unregenerate, lost selves would be. You know, we are depraved. Mankind is born in sin. He lives in sin until God makes him alive. Yeah. So, here's where I'm getting at. The Babylonians were doing what they knew to do. The Jews, on the other hand, they claimed to know God. And yet, in all of that knowledge, in all of that, they claimed to know God. They knew they were His people. They had the law. They knew how they should have been acting, but they were not acting that way. Yet, here's the thing. They knew how they ought to act, but they simply refused to act that way. They knew they were to obey God, but yet they rejected God and did not obey Him. And as a result, guess what? He had no choice, God didn't, than to punish His people. Who really was the most evil nation? The lost, unregenerate people doing what a depraved nation will do? Or the ones that knew better and just chose not to? Something to go home and think about. But next we see here, we see God's patience, though. Preacher, you're sitting here talking about Him destroying all these... Yeah, He was patient, though. For a number of years, God had sent His prophets to carry the message of repentance, but the people simply would not listen. Several times they are accused of committing spiritual adultery. Why? Because they would go over here and worship other gods. They would go over here and worship false gods. They would go over here and... and, 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 and commit acts of immorality that they knew was against God and everything God had told them to. And God would send prophet after prophet after prophet and pronounce woe upon them. And they wouldn't listen. Habakkuk's time, though, would be the time that God finally judged the nation for their sin. Look in verse 14. In 14 and on, the Bible says, And makest men as the fishes of the sea, and as creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with the angle. They catch them in their net. They gather them in their drag. They, therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice under their net and burn incense under their drag. Because, of them, because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous, shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nation." What in the world is this talking about? It's talking about how the Babylonians conquered the earth and conquered the known world at the time. They were like a bunch of fishermen, expert fishermen. They'd throw their nets out and they would grab all of the people and nobody would be left behind and they would take them and turn them all into slaves. 
That's how they would do it. It's interesting. It says, therefore, in verse 16, therefore they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense under their drag. What is it talking about? Their prosperity was their God. The more men and women and children that they could capture, their pride would be built up. That's why if you go back to Verse number 11, we hit this last week. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend. Look at this. Imputing this, his power unto his God. Every time that the Babylonians would catch all those people and they'd capture another city. Why did they do it? Just because it was the thing to do. They wanted to be the big... You think about the Persian Empire. Why? Why did they go around taking over all these people? So they could be number one. Is it all that different than what we see many people do in their careers? <laughs> I know I'm really not making any friends today. That's what it's all about. Whether you're a nation, whether you're a person trying to climb the corporate ladder, whether you're just, I mean, just an individual. It's always about number one, ain't it? That's the goal in life, to be the head honcho. It's like, hey, it starts early. Y'all remember that old game, King of the Hill? On the playground, right? You get up on the hill, and as long as you were up there and you fought everybody off and you kept them from getting up there, you were the king. Until somebody bigger than you would come by and knock your block off and knock you down the hill, then they were the king. Hey, that's the way it is. That is the world. Why did the Babylon Empire do what they did? That right there. Why do people why do people sacrifice oh oh that word sacrifice We sacrifice our families, we sacrifice money, we sacrifice our health, we sacrifice everything to get whatever that one thing is that we want. And you know what the Babylonians did? You know what it's saying there when it says therefore they sacrifice you know what their god was? Their god was their ego. Their god was their, uh, their captivity. The more, the better. They built themselves up. The stronger they became. That was their God. The Babylonians were only interested in materialistic gain and greed. Thus, they were self-sufficient. They were independent of the God of all creation. They were proud. They were ignorant. They were, they were domineering. Yet these were the very people that God was going to use to judge His own people. And what I'm trying to get us to understand is we can sit back and we can look at something like that and say, oh my Lord, that is so evil. They are the most wicked nation on earth. But I want you to understand and what I believe the Bible tries to, to do and what God's Word does to us is get us to see that who's really the worst nation? Yeah. All this serves to remind us that God is a jealous God. He will maintain His honor at all costs. Habakkuk's problem was you're going to send these people you're going to send these people to come and judge. Hey, these people are not going to give you glory. These people, they sacrifice unto themselves. They're not going to sacrifice unto you, God. How in the world are you going to use them to bring you glory and honor? Well, God will not be robbed of His glory. Isaiah 48.11 says, I will not give my glory unto another. And He means it. He's not. 
It doesn't matter if you've got another God on the pedestal of your life or not, or if you're a nation that is wicked like the Babylonians, or whatever you are. God will not share His glory with another. All of this God saw and was silent. And to see such wickedness and do nothing about it, Habakkuk was just perplexed. But you know what Habakkuk couldn't see? He could not see the big picture. He couldn't see the big picture. The truth of the matter is this. God does not have an identity crisis. God does not possess an inferiority complex. He's not threatened by these idols. He's not threatened by any other idols. He knows that He's always been God. He knows that He is God. He knows that He will always be God. Furthermore, you know what? He doesn't have to step into the ring with anybody. You know why? Because God knows that ultimately He will get all the glory and all the honor. He will be crowned. Doesn't matter what nation's doing what. Doesn't matter what man is doing. The key to understanding this passage, this is tough. I had such a hard time trying to study all this. The key to the entire passage rests in the latter part of verse number 12. That's why I didn't read it while ago. After questioning God's plan, Habakkuk catches a glimpse of God's purpose. And what does he say? He says in verse 12, the last half, O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. And Almighty God, Thou hast established them for correction. In other words, while Habakkuk didn't understand it, and while Habakkuk didn't agree with it, Habakkuk knew that God is God, and He's too holy not to do right. Doesn't matter what Habakkuk thought about it. Doesn't matter what we think about it. God is God, and He's holy, and He will do right. Although God was going to use such a wicked nation to accomplish His purpose, He had given the people ample opportunity to repent. Therefore, God had no other choice but to implement what He had ordained for judgment and what He had established for correction. And people often say, they walk around because, I mean, they learn it from a little, uh, they, they learn it from the time they're born. They'll say, oh, well, it's just not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair they get to do that, but I have to do this. It's not fair that that person does this and I have to do this. It's not fair. And you know what? People often say God is not fair. And you know what? You're absolutely right. God's not fair, and I'm glad He's not. Let me explain. Here's the thing. If God was fair, He would be helpless, hopeless. If God were fair... You think about this, if God were fair, we would be helpless. We would be hopeless. We'd be in hell if God was fair. Here's the thing. While God is not fair, you know what He is? He's just. In other words, God is right and He'll always do right. If He were fair, you think about this, if God were fair, favoritism would exist. However, because He's just, He's no respecter of persons. Thus, man will always reap what he sows. And he can never blame God for the consequences. When judgment comes, it's a reminder of the many, many opportunities that God has given man to repent. Even right here in Habakkuk, we have, a, we have a reminder of that. All of the times that the nation had a chance to repent. All of the times God had already... I mean, God is such a long-suffering, patient God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, the Bible says. 
You know, it reminds me also of the book of Hebrews chapter 9, 20, verse 27, that tells us that we all have an appointment. Yeah, Israel had an appointment. The day was coming. No doubt one of the prophets had looked at him and said, look, I don't know how much time God is going to continue to be patient. One of these days, He's going to bring His judgment. You know what we're doing today? We're doing the same thing. I'm standing here in this pulpit looking at all y'all saying one of these days God is going to right all of the wrongs. One of these days God is going to bring judgment upon the world. He's going to bring judgment upon His people. He's going to bring the judgment, but I don't know when. You think about it, going back to verse number 2, Habakkuk had no idea. Habakkuk, it's an interest, it's interesting, his calling is interesting, the way that it works. Generally, we hear, here's what, here's what we normally see in these prophets. We see the prophet called by God. And God gives them a message to go give His people. And they go and relay that message. But with Habakkuk, we see a man struggling with the message God has given him. We see him asking questions. Most of the time, you don't see that with other prophets. God, God gives. You think about you think about Isaiah. Isaiah gets called, and, and Isaiah he, he goes to and talks about what a wicked man he is, and 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 how he's a man of unclean lips, and and all of these things. And then God speaks to him. God tells him what he wants him to do, and he says, "Yes, Lord, here am I. Send me whatever it is. I'll go do it." God gives him a task. He goes, does it, doesn't ask anything about it. But yet Habakkuk, we. Habakkuk struggled with what God had given him to do. He didn't reject God like Jonah did. He just had a lot of questions. Kind of like we all do sometimes. And I can just imagine that some of those prophets are doing exactly they did for years and years and years. And you know what? At some point in time, the appointment came. Habakkuk didn't realize that. Habakkuk had been praying and Habakkuk was broken hearted about the world around him just like we are, or you ought to be. Habakkuk though, as he was praying, saying, God, how long are you going to allow this to go on? Y'all ever pray to God, how long? How much worse are you going to allow America to get before you come back? We need to realize what we're praying. And we ought to pray that. We ought to wonder. It ought to motivate us to get busy. I know I'm preaching long. It's okay. Y'all ain't coming back tonight, so I got to get all this in. I can't go into part two. And so we feel like that. We pray like that. We, our hearts are broken because of the wickedness of the world around us, the wickedness of America. And we wonder. And see, Habakkuk was doing the same thing as he's on his knees. And he's saying, oh God, how long am I going to have to pray before you answer? He didn't realize time was up. He didn't realize until God came back to him and said, oh, I'm working I'm working a work you won't even believe. And here's what I'm going to do. You know what he's done? God's told us what's going to happen at the end. We, we wonder how much worse America's going to get. Hey, you never know. God is God. America may not even exist by the time the tribulation starts. I don't know. 
That's always been a magnanimous debate in eschatology because people can distinguish Russia in the final days. They can distinguish China in the final days looking in the Bible. They can distinguish uh, all the, 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 the countries, but they can't figure out America anywhere. They can't figure out how America plays into the final war. And you know what? America may not play into it. If we keep going the direction we're going and God uh, doesn't come back, we might not even exist as a nation. You know I'm telling the truth. It's scary what's going on in our country. It's scary because it's been the same downfall of every major empire that has ever been. Read your Bibles, you'll figure it out. I might just preach on that sometime. Every major empire there's ever been. What's going on in America right now has been the downfall. They conquer, they build up. They conquer, they build up. They build wealth. They become prosperous. And then they start wondering about everything that doesn't mean anything. And it's all a slap in the face to God. And God will eventually judge them and it will be their downfall. That's what happened to Babylonian Empire, Roman Empire. I mean, Persian Empire. What happened? They got so big they didn't have nothing else to do. Hey, America's been top dog for years, haven't they? That's why they call us the melting pot. Everybody's fighting to get to America. America's got more money than anybody else. Now we got more debt than anybody else. Y'all see how this works? You got other countries, they're worried about getting, getting education, getting skills. Training military so they can defend themselves. What are we worried about? Giving people the right to be whatever they want to be. We're worried about women calling themselves men and men calling themselves women and writing it into, writing it into law that if you don't respect that, you're committing a hate crime. That's what America's worried about, seriously? We're going to fall. We're going to fall. And what are we supposed to be doing about it? Well, let me tell you something, church. What we ought to be doing is telling people about Jesus. We ought to be getting closer to Jesus. We ought to be more in, our, in the Word of God than we've ever been. We ought to be people of prayer more than we've ever been. We ought to be people that trust God more than we ever have. You know why? Because we need God more than we've ever needed Him before. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't know what my kids are going to grow into adults. I don't know what all they're going to face. But here's what I know, y'all. I know God is good. And I know God is holy. And I know God is all-powerful. And I know God is all-knowing. And you know what? If I can't figure it out, that's okay. I can trust God. And so can you. Let's stand by our heads, close our eyes. Miss Dawn, you come play softly. Have you ever wondered, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? Everything's out of control. Everything's falling apart. God, are you 